Maybe you have, maybe you haven't uh, taken a trip to another part of the world in which poverty is more apparent and before you. Um, if you've ever gone on one of those trips, oftentimes when you come home, uh, there is a layer of, of guilt that is oftentimes experienced, a layer of confusion. What do I do with what I have just seen? What do I, what do, I do? How do I change? Is there anything that I could do as far as generosity and helping the people that I've come to live beside, come in contact with in some cases, or go and then serve? Maybe you are currently participating in serving those in our community here who have less than you do, and you're often struck with the question of, hmm, they have less than me. What do I do with this? Do I give of my excess to those in need? How do I live? How do I make sense of my existence? Uh, a week or two ago, uh, we had a Ukrainian refugee family move in a couple doors down from us. Uh, one of their kids is in Nixon's class. And it's a completely different experience, isn't it, when you're seeing these things on the news and you're hearing about refugees and the plight of refugees, and then, well, there you are. And we uh, saw them this week carrying furniture down the street because, of course, they don't have a vehicle and wondering in ourselves. And again, it's a wake up and a reminder of my goodness. We just went to Costco, the $300 store, and now here we are. And how do we do this? How do we make sense of this? What is the invitation of Jesus to us as his people as it relates to how we spend, how we live what do we do with this? Well, for that answer, I want to go to an Old Testament text. We'll be going to some New Testament texts as well, but I want to go to an Old Testament text. And what I want to do today is focus more on the lifestyle of followers of Jesus. And next week, we'll talk about generosity. And many of the teachings that I hear about generosity and the importance of giving for followers of Jesus, rarely do we start with, well, what about our lifestyles? Because if we make a difference there, I think it will increase the amount that we can give. In the same way that if you go to a buffet and you... We all love food, I'm sure, and you go to a buffet, and you eat, and you eat, and you eat, and then you finish your buffet, and you're like, okay, I just drove by someone on the way here that doesn't have anything. What do you do with it now that it's already inside of you? And so at some point, you got to cut yourselves off, and so that's what we're going to be talking about today. So Exodus 16 may seem like a strange text. You'll get it once we get there. Three things I hope that we can glean from this text today as it relates to the invitation of Jesus to us his people as it relates to lifestyle and giving. This is a story of the children of Israel on a journey. You maybe are familiar with this story, but if not, I'm going to essentially read the whole chapter. So I hope you're ready for it. I'll make some comments as we go through. But Exodus 16. They, that is the children of Israel, set out from Elam. Can everyone say Elam? Elam. And all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of sin. Interesting which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. It's important just simply to know here, there's a map on the screen that the Israelites are moving south towards Mount Sinai. They've left, as we read, the wilderness of Shur, and now they're in the wilderness of Sin. Verse 2, And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by, listen to what they write, the meat pots and ate bread to the full. 
For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Do you see what they're desiring? We wish we were still in slavery because at least in slavery we had meat pots and bread. Now, a month ago, the Israelites had already grumbled about the lack of water at Marah and God miraculously provides for them in his graciousness to them. But now they're grumbling again a month later, this time about food. Now, buying or finding food would have been extremely difficult as they're in a wilderness, and the food that they had packed would most certainly have been getting low. So you could say, well, their complaint, their grumbling is somewhat justified. But look where they go. Seems a little extreme, doesn't, doesn't it? We wish we were still in slavery. We had meat, pots, and bread there. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold... I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may, notice the word, test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? Do you notice the detail? They are grumbling not against Moses and Aaron. Who is their grumble really against? God. And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Verse 9. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. Verse 13. In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp. And in the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as you can eat. You shall each take an omer according to the number of persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could, and Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it over till the morning. <laughs> Verse 20, but they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them, Morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as he could eat, but when the sun grew hot, it melted. 
Verse 22, on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil. And all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink. And there were no worms in it. Moses said, eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath, there will be none. Verse 27. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. Surprise, surprise. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Well, brothers and sisters, what type of life is God inviting you and me into based on what we see here in the story? First thing is this, a life of simplicity. Simplicity. Where do we see this in the text? Verse four. Then the Lord said to Moses, behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as what they gather daily. And the people of Israel did so. Verse 17, they gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over and whoever gathered little had no lack. There is just this beautiful, natural simplicity to this provision and this command from God to his people. They're given exactly enough And they're simply invited to trust him that it is enough. Which introduces a challenge for you and for me is answering the question, what is enough? Have you asked yourself this question before? Now, enough means adequate. Enough means sufficient. So I'd invite you to ponder this question today. What is enough? Because defining enough, it leads to freedom. It breaks the bondage of our ever-increasing desires for more. When you and I define enough, we're invited to step off of the conveyor belt of consumerism and create our own rhythms of life because we've got enough. I don't need more. This is all that I need. It's enough. It's sufficient. It's adequate. Now, Jesus has very similar invitations and warnings that we see and read in the Gospels. A few, um, a few on the screen, examples on the screen for us. Matthew 6, 19 to 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moss and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Speaking specifically of accumulation of more, more than enough. Luke 12 verse 15, and he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. 
For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Luke 12, 33, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. The Lord's Prayer, we prayed it this morning. Have you given consideration to how give us this day our daily bread applies to you and to me? This is a prayer of simplicity in that we are asking only for what is a sufficient portion for the day. And what you and I are invited to do is then to become suspicious of schemes and ways to store up for tomorrow. You and I understand this in the materialistic, consumeristic culture in which we live, in which you go to the store and suddenly there's a little label on Kleenex that says new. And have you ever stopped to go, what's new about Kleenex? It's the same old thing packaged in a different way to make you believe that you need the new Kleenex. Interesting, but it's new. Is the old Kleenex enough? Another example of enough, not just with our money, but what about our schedules, our time, and our talents? Notice for the Israelites that they had a window of time, an opportunity to collect the manna before it would go bad. Their schedule by God was given to them. And then as part of that, they were instructed to take a Sabbath. And as a result, if we consider this as well, I believe that for you and for me, much of our desire for generosity is hindered by the lack of simplicity in our schedules. And when you spend time with people who have less, when you consider this family in my life that's living two doors down from me, do I have time to minister to them? Is my schedule simple enough that I would have the space to meet them where they are? So there's an invitation in this text to simplicity. But what's a second invitation that God is inviting his people to? Because I don't think simplicity is enough. Something needs to happen at the level of our soul. And here's what it is. Contentment. Contentment. On the sixth day, verse 22, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil. And all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning as Moses commanded them and it did not stink and there were no worms in it. So yes, there's simplicity, go out and take this, but there's also a needed contentment at the level of their souls to recognize that God indeed has provided a sufficient portion and therefore they can Sabbath, they can take that day and rest, trusting and being content in what God has given them. A way that you and I do this is that we first define enough but then we be intentional about avoiding excess. Taking only what we need for the day in the case of Israel. If you and I, if we're just honest, much of us, most of us have much more stuff than we actually use, need, or want. And yet we always seem to be looking to trade up for something bigger, something better, and what we can be drawn to is, again, this cycle of Kleenex, of other things, of get more, want more, and spend more. 
Jeff Schinnerbarger in his book writes this, many people have excess. Excess is that thing that we could give away today and it wouldn't change a single aspect of our tomorrow. Excess is more than what we need. And in turn, it may be exactly what someone else needs. Anything more than enough is excess. Excess is margin. Excess is more than enough. You've maybe heard of this before, but it's called affluenza. And affluenza is finding meaning, identity, purpose, and value in what you have or in what you buy. I had a season in my life, and I still struggle. I really like nice things. I like the upgrades. I like the tech. I can be honest about that. But I had a season in my life in which I had Sundays, which are generally a fairly full, emotionally and spiritually draining day, and then I was taking my Sabbath on Mondays, and I didn't have like a no buying on, Sunday, on Monday rule. And on Mondays, what I would do is I'd go to the store and I'd buy something. And it was amazing as time went on, I recognized how much of a significant thing that was in my life and in my soul. Of Yeah, yesterday was good, but today's Monday. What am I going to do? And it could have even been groceries in some case. I recognized at the level of my soul, it was simply accumulating that was filling that lack of the Sunday or that take of the Sunday. And I was trying to fill it in the wrong ways. What about Jesus and the rest of the New Testament? Matthew 16, verse 26. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Or how about 1 Timothy 6, 6 to 10, 17 to 19. For, but godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving. Notice this, that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Thus storing up, tre up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. I did not write these words, brothers and sisters. This is the scripture to you and me. Third thing we glean from this text. What is the third thing God is inviting his people to? And I believe it's this thing on which simplicity and contentment rest. Trust. Trust. Not in self, in God. Verse 29. The Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in this place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. And so herein lies the key to simplicity and contentment. And I believe to the entire manna story and to all of our stories as we leave self-sufficiency and go towards dependence upon God, it's trust in him. Douglas Stewart, in his commentary on this text, writes this. All of these challenges, and what he's speaking about here is all of the challenges that Israel faced in the wilderness 
were part of a plan to develop a people's willingness to trust him. Explaining everything in advance would have run counter to that plan. It was necessary for Israel to learn faith while confused, while afraid, while desperate, not just in theory, but under pressure of actual conditions where survival was uncertain and faith was tested to the limit. And so for all of the experiences that everybody in this room shares— I am not in your life in the way that looks at your finances every day, that knows exactly what it is that you say you need or what is enough or what would it look like to live simply or contently. You are, however. And so I'd simply invite you to ask the question, do I trust God? Do I trust him? And reflecting on a trust level reveals our heart, and this is where God wants to ultimately do his work of redemption in our lives. And he invites us to walk lives of faith fully dependent upon him in simplicity, finding contentment in him, holding our possessions lightly so that we have an opportunity to be a blessing to other people. As we'll see next week, the Apostle Paul writes to a group of people who have nothing, yet invites them out of their poverty to be generous. Well, you might ask the question, well, how do we get there? How do we live in this way? What's our motivation? As we talk about every single week, the motivation is Christ and what he has done for you and for me. It's the gospel the mission of redemption, the restoration by God the Father to the world that he loves and is generous towards. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became what? Poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Just rest in that text. Let that text challenge your soul. Because of what Christ has done, our paradigm as followers of Jesus, as we step into his invitation, is to be completely changed. You and I then don't define simplicity, contentment, and generosity based on human standard, but on the standard of Christ. If he was willing to give everything for me, why do I simply give my leftovers? And that's the way it so is, isn't it, so often? We don't give away the toys to those that are less fortunate, that are our new toys. We give our used ones, our used clothes, the things that we don't want anymore. The invitation of God to us, his children, is the testimony of what David was able to say in Psalm 23, verse 1. And from this then, this place is where we're invited to live, to define our budgets, to define all of these things. I know inflation is crazy. I know many of us are strapped. But what is the invitation to simplicity, contentment, and trust in God that each of us could respond to today? 
so that we, like David, could truly land here. And if it's the goal of your life to land here, I know this is a, I, I find this one of the most challenging verses in all of the scriptures. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Why shall I not want? Because the Lord is my shepherd. He looks after me. He cares for me. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. 